0: Hi, I'm your host, James Barrow, a creative-turned-marketing director with over 20 years' experience in the advertising industry. Join me as I go behind the scenes with a range of innovative thinkers. Hear what inspires them, their processes, and the methods to their madness. Find insights that can help unlock your creative potential and apply them in your life, career, and business. Right here on The B-Side with James Barrow. What are the parallels between coaching a high-performing sports team and leading a highly successful media agency? On episode 42 of the B-Side, I chat about this and a whole lot more with Jason Tennelli, CEO of Zenith Australia, a seasoned professional with over two decades of experience in media, technology and advertising. Jason's career spans various aspects of media and advertising from digital marketing transformation to managing trading desks and creative ventures. As Zenith Australia's CEO, he emphasises excellence in media solutions, strategic work and investment, collaborating across industries like superannuation, finance, automotive, government, retail, insurance, CBG and technology. We explore the evolving media landscape, Zenith's pioneering ROI model, and Jason shares his insights into leadership dynamics. Being a true sports-mad Melbourneian, he draws connections between high-performing sports teams and successful business teams, and how specialised coaching roles in sport correlate with diverse leadership approaches. This was a cracking episode, packed with invaluable insights on leadership, marketing, and media. I really hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Cheers. Jason Tonelli, it's an absolute pleasure seeing you. Sorry, that was quite a formal introduction, wasn't it? It was, actually. Thank you for having me, though. It's great to be here. Happy Friday. We're here on a Friday.
1: Yeah, it's good. And welcome to Publicists and welcome to 21 Harris Street.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah, I have been here before, haven't I, Steph? I'm just looking at Steph over here. Steph, we should get Steph on the podcast at some point. She's an absolute champion. She's helped me wrangle all of you. Publicist ruffians? No, you're not. You're a, whole, you're a bunch <laughs> of <we> absolute <laughs> superstars and, and incredibly professional. And I thank you for giving me some of your time because I do know you're quite quite busy, especially on a Friday. Agencies on Fridays are quite... Um,
1: yeah, you're trying to tie up the week that's y- set up next week. And y- at this time of year, is probably the busiest time of the year, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. but it
0: proves that the work from home thing's working, right? So, yeah. you know, when you can still get all of these massive Christmas campaigns. Oh, we've already... We've already got the Christmas campaigns already out there. They're live now. Yeah, Yeah, they're they're right out there. Yeah, so that's a really interesting question. Before we get into that, though, um, I'd love to hear more about you, what you do, where you're from, and a bit about your background. I know that's all a lot to unpack, but... There's um,
1: there. So... um Most people call me JT, so feel free. JT, Um, okay. Jason's probably reserved for mum, um, and that's about (laughs) it. But um, JT is what everyone in the industry calls me. Been doing this for 20-something years. I don't know if anyone purposefully gets into advertising. Um, They hear about it and they see it. A funny story how I got into it, It was I got a second-round offer to go into university, so it wasn't even my first-round offer. And our... School priest called me at work and he said, have you seen the second round office today? I said, no, mate. Like, and he goes, you've got one, you gotta to run to the university and get locked in. So I kind of finished up what I was doing and ran down to the university and signed up. And because it was a second round offer. they I got into an arts degree and they said, um, you get some electives. I like, "Oh, let me go and do something in the school of business, something different um, and went along. And then I said, oh, I'll do management. That sounds fun. And they're like, management's full. I said, okay. And literally marketing, you know, R comes after N when you're spelling management and marketing. (laughs) I'll do marketing. 20-something years later, I'm here. So incredible.
0: And you've been with the publicist group in some way, shape or form for some time. Yeah, 11 years now. 11 years.
1: Yeah. Came to publicist, I started at Starcom. Um, came in to run, to work on a client specifically um, and also head up the digital offering for the Melbourne office. Um, and I've had almost a new role every two years, I say, at mm. So from there, I went on to be the um, national head of digital um, for Starcom, then took on um, content and technology. And then around 2016, when we started to go through, I guess the holding group structure of Publicis or that re kind of calibration of what it looked like, um, I got asked to move into a group role. So I ran data, analytics, tech, digital for Publicis Media, um, as it was known back then. And then um, in 2018 took over as the CEO of Performix. And so I've been leading brands ever since. I took on a group role. Um, back in 2020 and then um, running Zenith from this year.
0: Can I tell you a little, a little bit of trivia? Sorry to just switch pace oh. for a second for Starcom. I worked at uh, Leo Burnett's for some time. I'm at the Guest so yes. Down at Blues Point Road. And I'm not sure if you were there when they were at Blues Point Road on the bottom floor of that building at McMahons Point.
1: Yes, and we exactly had a, where you are. In yeah, the cafe.
0: Yeah, and we had a slippery slide that went down the middle of the building. Yeah, that's and, right. And, and, and the the senior management team would bring their kids in, right, and they would slide down this slippery slide and they'd yeah. spit them out. The slide would spit the kids out at the Starcom office. That's
1: right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's a long time Dude, ago. That was a long time ago, but,
0: right? But I mean, just to think of that now, it's crazy. I well, mean, it's, we've got uh, yeah.
1: two clients with slides in their offices. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. um, and it's a lot of fun, I think. Um, <laughs> and... It's just the speed you come off them. Yeah. So I have been on one of the client ones um, in Melbourne, <laughs> and
0: definitely you come off with some pace. You've talked about that priest, and that priest at your yeah, school yeah. had a really yeah. big impact on you. I mean, it set a course for your well, career.
1: Funnily enough, he actually mm. was the priest that married Diana and I. Oh, really? Oh, well. yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Isn't that amazing? Who else have been some of the uh, more influential people, or what have been some of the you know the biggest influences yeah. in your life? Do you think?
1: I think when I reflect on that, I look at it in the decades of your life. Yeah. So in my early 40s, so I won't give you the early 40s one, but if I think about you know the first 10 years, um, not knowing it at the time, um, my mum's dad, um, who passed away when I was seven, hmm. um, had a massive impact on my life. He was an um, Italian immigrant. Uh, migrated here in the early 50s. Um, He left my grandmother in Italy and my mum, who was like literally three months old, to come and start a better life here Mm. in Australia. Got on the boat, um, came over and started working and then put money aside to get mum and my grandmother here. Um, And my mum turned one. On the ship. Oh, really? Right. Yeah. And hadn't seen her for like that nine, ten month period. So, um, but I still remember he used to throw the most epic parties for <laughs> family and friends in his garage, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and I still remember them growing yeah. up as a child, right? And they're really early memories. But he had a massive influence on the importance on family. Yeah. Yeah. And the importance on um, our heritage. Sure. When I look at my teen years. Um, I start to think about, um, you know, some of the big influence there was when my parents split up. I was yeah. 16 at the time, and that was quite a difficult time. Back then, it was rare to have the conversation around yeah. your parents having divor- going yeah. through divorce. Yeah. And so that was quite an interesting time for me to go through, it was a little bit of an isolating time. Yeah. Um, but built some resilience and um, probably some things that I've left behind now too. Like I got really black and white back then in terms of that's right, that's wrong. Like there was no a lot, not a lot of grey in your life when stuff starts to, you try to control things. Yeah. So I learnt some things that I kind of didn't like about myself back then mm-hmm. um, that I've worked really hard on. Um, as you go through, as I think about them, my 20s, I think um, the the power of mentors in yeah. your life yeah. um, becomes so important. Yeah. Um, like for me, there's one gentleman, his name's Digby Nancaro. Um, he's an advertising legend. And he, um, funnily enough, emailed me today for a catch-up because he's still going. He's um, in his 70s and he's still looking at launching two new products into China. And he goes, what do you think, JT? And I'm yeah. like... And we still catch up a lot and he said something really interesting to me which was after his really esteemed career is like whatever you do don't leave the industry it's in your blood sure. and it was quite interesting That's that really interesting. um and we we've like i said that was in my 20s and we still talk now all the time yeah. and then probably what started to happen in my 30s is i started to lead teams and then got my first ceo gig And what you learn is this whole thing around leadership and what it is to serve people and to go from manager to leader to coach. And you start to put all this work into that. Probably the misstep and something I've started to learn in my 40s is, is it's really hard to lead people if you're not okay. I, I use yeah. the. Um, yeah, that's a know, the, very good point. Yeah. And I'll go back to planes before. Um, you know, when you jump on a plane and they do the safety demonstration yeah. and they go, don't forget to fit your own oxygen mask before you fit that of the people next to you. Leadership's exactly the same. Yeah. I think that I've learned that to be a good leader, you need to have done the work on yourself yeah. Yeah. before you can really help coach and mentor others. I think that's a big learning yeah. that. Is a practice that I still think about every day.
0: I do the same. I'm not in the same sort of leadership position as you are, but um, I do lead a team. I think you're right. I know I'm at my best when I have paid attention to the things that affect the way I lead and show yeah. up. And I wonder if you um, if you could maybe unpack a little bit about the principles that guide your approach.
1: First, selling leadership is one of the most undervalued skills in our industry because what happens in our industry is we teach people the craft we teach you to be a great trader or a good strategist or a great digital um buyer or whatever it might be but and then what happens as you get older you go oh here manage three people and teach them how to trade and buy. Mm. And mm. all your learning comes out of, out of the teaching you do, but it's in the same craft. Yeah. And then what we forget is go, oh, now you can be a CEO uh, yeah. yeah, or an MD. And hold on, how many years have I done on leadership, training and coaching? So I think it's one of the most undervalued skill that we do have was there's some phenomenal leaders in our industry. And so principles, for me, it's around understanding and listening first, understanding people's values, Yeah, really spending time with people. I always talk to people about putting a problem in front of us, not across the table at you. And that's just one of the things I've learned over time, which is a problem shared is a problem halved. And when you think about how you, we should lead today, it's really about taking the time, leadership, coaching, mentoring is all about the time and effort you're willing to put in. Mm. And for me, the most joy I get is jumping onto something like LinkedIn and seeing somebody that was in my team many years ago taking a CMO role yeah, or taking yeah, a yeah. new head of agency role or something like that. I'm like, that's awesome. And hopefully I've had a little bit of impact. yeah, right? And yeah. I want to celebrate that because that's for me what we do now well that is that
0: coaching mentality isn't it absolutely if you're you're really trying to be a coach for people to then Mm. pass on some of your knowledge and influence and that you're almost investing in their careers aren't you and and i know it sounds self-serving but it is a wonderful achievement to be able to look back on maybe the impacts you've had and those positive things that people have gone on to, to do with those impacts i think it's brilliant Why don't we just switch gears now and quickly get down to business? Firstly, what's Zenith Media? Um, yeah. And can you explain that ROI concept? <laughs> sure. Why are they the ROI agency?
1: So Zenith, um, Zenith's been known for the ROI as the ROA agency for twenty-one years this year. Um, so when it first started, so you have got to look back at our history, right? Zenith, nineteen eighty-seven was launched out of London. Um, so now, and now is part of the global. Uh, it was a massive global business. Um, ROI agency came out in the early two thousands when Digital had just launched. Yeah. Right. And so when you think about that, it was a time where you wanted to talk to clients about really measuring the returns on investment as digital started to grow. It's quite interesting as I sat down to start to think about what ROI means in 2023 and beyond, we had a bit of a tinker with it, which was really lovely of people to let us do that. And we came up with this thought around, we are still the ROI agency, but what does ROI mean and defining what our uh, specialisations are around that. And really, we we talk about ROI cubed now um, in Australia, which is really focusing on amazing insight, incredible imagination and really strong investment and really having strength across those three pillars and delivering that to our clients.
0: Do you think advertisers are spending more this year and uh, are they expecting a higher return on their investments?
1: I think... Um, Okay, there's two questions in that. The first thing is they're probably slightly up, yeah. if not flat this year, um, but they're definitely looking for a bigger return. And,
0: and, and we talk a lot about change. I mean, it is really changing quite rapidly. It's funny, you've got all these compound sort of cultural influences. What about in terms of technological shifts? We've got the advent of AI and the all of those sort of things really yeah. impacting both our um, um, marketing mix and our channel mix and our strategies to uh, sort of fill those those channels?
1: Yeah, I think for us, um, the approach we've taken is around learning. So when we start to look at the rapid shifts around things like AI and Gen AI, when we start to think about um, audience, we start to put privacy into the mix and we start to open up some big cans of words, which are probably like three-hour podcasts <laughs> yeah. in themselves, right? Yeah. I think the one thing that you just got to know is you're always a student. You know, yeah. I grew up in digital for a long, well, pretty much so most of my career. Sure. And I'm the biggest student, hopefully, you'll ever find. I spend a lot of time with Josh, our national head of digital and data, just learning. Okay, mate, what's going on there? And Publishers has been fantastic at unlocking a lot of that learning too through Marcel. So things from um, full AI learning to having access to many of the Gen AI platforms and really embracing not just the application of it, but the learning of how we use it. And that's just one example. We've been using AI in trading for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. And I think the creativity of the application of Gen AI in creativity, I should say, is going to increase. Um, and probably match the way that we've been trading media as well.
0: Mm. Are you afraid of AI by any chance? Or, or do you see more of the upside? Yeah, there was something from Microsoft, and I may have quoted this at some other point, but someone from Microsoft was saying, AI is not going to take your job. Someone who knows how to use AI will. You yeah. Know? Yeah. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I think that, I think it comes back to the, stu- I'll answer your question around, am I scared of AI? I think without the right parameters, Mm-hmm. and the right governance around AI can be dangerous yeah there's no yeah. doubt about that sure um, and so working with government officials working with um, lawmakers on what's the right application of AI for humans and for our Australian populations really important yeah so we've got to get that right down to should anyone be worried about their role no they've just got to embrace new tech um, I think there's i've said this before it's like when the printing press came out Mm, mm. more jobs through the industrial revolution more jobs got created not less yeah right you're gonna have the same thing here more jobs everyone said that when digital trading became programmatic Mm. we're going to lose jobs there's more people in our industry than less yeah yeah same thing here with ai we'll do different tasks so the task makeup will change and What If you look at someone like what Microsoft's doing, um, there's some really interesting application on what um, their new technology that has only rolled out in the last couple of weeks can do. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It's interesting you say the printing press and technology and culture don't often get bundled together. But I think historians will say that introduction of the printing press and the... uh, the rollout of the printing press globally through mm. the last industrial period had a massive impact on religion you yes, know it did and you went
1: from tablets and scribing yeah, to mass to application to mass application, application. Of it. and
0: right. i wonder um, what cultural it's more just a thought experiment here but i wonder what cultural impact this new groundbreaking
1: technology will have on us globally
0: you know like it's really quite an interesting thing to think about
1: i have it, a hope yeah. if I can, on what it could do. And it's not going to be around the efficiencies and effectiveness on any of that stuff. I hope it creates more curious people mm. because the rise of things, I don't know if you've heard this term, are prompt engineers, No. prompt I engineering. Prompt, so prompt engineering. Yeah, so it's the fastest growing Ah, yes, course. as in prompts. How, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, How do I yeah, ask questions? How do I ask better good. questions, right? I yeah. hope that starts to instill in people this curiosity of asking. And that could be a fantastic thing. Oh, I love that. Because yeah. then, you know, back to the leadership point we were making earlier, leadership's about curiosity. Mm. What's mm. going on for you? What's happening for you today? Mm. How did you make that decision? Yeah. How could we have yeah. made that decision better? Right? If we can ask questions of people, like the way we're learning to ask questions of technology, mm. I think you'd have a very interesting society.
0: That's a very, very different way of approaching pretty much everything. You can look at the geopolitical issues going on in the world right now. I don't cover those in this podcast. (laughs) There's plenty of people who do, though. But if we were asking the right questions, and going back to one of my principles of assuming good intent, and we kept some of those more human things to your point, keep it human, and started asking those curious questions, I'm sure we could approach some of these more cultural things, because it's all really down to human and cultural, right? I mean, everything else is...
1: Well, it's understanding. Yeah. And you don't understand without being curious. Yeah. And I think if you bring curiosity. So I really hope that because, you know, my my kids are very early in their um, schooling. Mm. And so when I think about that and in 10 years time when my eldest is starting his VCE, which just freaks me out just even (laughs) thinking about (laughs) it, right, what he would have gone through in that 10 years VCE for for HSC HSC up here here. that's right is um, what he'll go through in that 10 years of evolution in technology is going to be something we've never experienced the the rapid change the mind boggles but I hope that some of those good things that come out of tech which is and I think one of the key things is how we ask questions Mm. and driving this curious mindset I think that could really revolutionise many things in our world be it geopolitical but be it what we do in our industry too
0: yeah yeah it's all all goes into the soup doesn't it you it know does. it really does yeah, yeah yeah so we've spoken a lot about uh, the data and the digital and the the upside of, of all of this amazing new technology that we're starting to utilize How does Zenith make sure media spending is taking advantage of those technologies and delivering that bang for the advertiser's buck, so to speak?
1: Yeah, sure. Because I'm
0: coming back to the ROI thing and I'm just trying to unpack it a little bit.
1: If you look at how many billions of dollars get spent every day through our industry, it's significant. Then you think about the cultural changes you can impact or make through campaigns. It's significant. And so I always ask, I try to ask really simple questions of the team all the time. So if that was your money, would you spend it like this? Right. And if they're saying yes, I'm going, well, then you'll f- then it's great. Keep moving forward. If it's a no, why not? And what would you change? Mm. And then if there is a change, let's go talk to our clients about that change. Yeah. Now, that's on the rudimentary. Yeah. And you know media is much about the science as it is about the brain, intelligence, but it's also about the gut. If you understand consumers really well, you've got a good gut feel for it. You, you know how to speak, you connect with them. Then it comes down to all the science bit. And that, that I think, is the ever-evolving, fun part of our industry where you're seeing a lot of tools, a lot of technology, starting to do things like MMM, starting to do things, and really quick and intelligent mmmm. Where you're starting to look at things like influential reach, when you're starting to th- rather than normal reach, when you're starting to look at simple things like I've spoken to, about this many times before is how many zero taps did you run over your campaign, and how do we get more effective at buying audiences? Yeah. How many um, conflict taps did we run this t- this week in TV? From a digital perspective, we've been talking about viewability, we've been talking about attention. There's all these great New and old um, fusions of information coming to us, the team's job is to disseminate that, to spend their money like it was their own.
0: You mentioned the gut. Yeah. And I know creativity, it's wrapped up in, it's almost this mythical thing that no one could quite understand. You know, some of us will say that everyone's creative, myself included, yeah. and we could all learn and there are processes by which you can, you can be more creative or think more creative or ask more curious Questions or, or deeper questions to unlock some creativity. What role does creativity play at Zenith?
1: It's why the second I in ROI cubes imagination, and it's right through our organisation. It is not a strategy or a planning problem. It is a all agency opportunity to think about how we do things different and reimagine campaigns and go into market. Um, and so creativity sits at the heart of our business. It's quite interesting. I was looking, reading and thinking about this the other day, right? And we are thinking about distinctive brand assets the other day. Yeah, There's a bit yeah. of a debate going around now around- Byron which, Sharpen. Yeah, right? Yeah. But distinctive brand assets are essential. And I think we've mm-hmm. made ch- changes to brands. I've seen changes to brands being made and it feels like for the sake of it. And I don't think that's the right thing. And so as we start to think about how we bring imagination, we're really thinking about how do we use the media to create new distinctiveness for our clients? Oh, yeah. And yeah. that's kind of interesting. That's a new way because of the proliferation of media. So you're saying
0: the media itself, yeah. the channel itself, how do we show and what would an example of that be?
1: Well um, sports sponsorships a really good one mm. right So you think about how brands get involved in sport this distinctiveness around that sport and those brands.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. We've just signed, I work at Macquarie University for my listeners, and we've just signed a five-year contract with Sydney FC. Okay. Um, And the way we're promoting that sponsorship is through um, Sydney FC to the power of us. And our brand ethos is we believe, it's you to the power of us, we believe that when we all work together, no matter where we're from and who we are, Mm -hmm. we can achieve some amazing things. And we're supporting sydney fc in this belief you know so yeah and we're we're sort of leveraging that but it's the first sponsorship we've done like that and we're seeing some really nice brand synergies yeah and there's some distinct there will be over
1: time no there Mm. will be some distinctiveness around that for you right yeah, yeah and that's exciting and so when i think about that i think sport is one of the areas but sponsorships um in program has been another one where you become affiliated with cult followings of shows yeah, and yeah. So those things there, you see it more and more. Integrations are really critical. You
0: quickly mentioned clients previously. Who were some yeah. of your clients? And uh, my second question is, what makes for a good one?
1: Ah, that's a really good <laughs> one. So um, we've got a heap of clients here. So, um, but I'll just name a few. And I apologise to any of my clients that I'm um, near. But you don't uh, have to name names uh, when uh, it comes for a good uh, one. I was going to ask you who your favourite
0: client is, but we yeah, won't do.
1: That. I have no favourites. They know that. Um, but LDS. Um, Cash awards, um, Adobe here in um, Sydney, Modibodi as well. Adobe. Yeah, I um, don't know
0: why I gravitate towards certain brands. I, I do like Adobe as a brand, yeah. yeah they're distinctive, a great brand. Um, yeah. Um, Sorry,
1: Disney, City of Melbourne. Oh, Disney. Oh, yeah. Gee whiz. We've got a great. we got a great list. Honda, Essity, Luxottica. Um, we've added some new brands to the fold this year adobe and modibody are two of those racq temple and Webster, and really recently lululemon as well lululemon wow okay (laughs) i'm hoping
0: you'd get some freebies from
1: some of these wonderful we're still waiting for the so there's been two lobbies in the in the office right one since we've won that one is when are we allowed to wear um tights to the office (laughs) Um, yes and like that that's a, that's an ongoing discussion, and when when's the family and friends discount coming? Yeah, oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah.
0: you're covered on all categories yeah. <laughs> across those that roster of clients. You did ask the clients. question about good client.
1: Relationships. Yeah, well, it, it
0: is really good, and it's, it's something that I, you know, a lot of clients listen to this um, podcast, uh, funnily enough, and and a lot a lot of them are really interested to hear our agency team's perspectives on what makes for a really good client yeah. and what. What are the hallmarks of a good client-agency relationship? For
1: me, it comes down to a couple of things. Um, And if you speak to Richard from Appraise, hopefully he'll agree with me here. But I think the first one's openness. Yeah. Just a real collaborative partner-type spirit in a relationship. These are our problems, and they might not be marketing ones. And an openness back saying, actually, we can't solve for that um and being okay with that and saying this might not be a marketing thing or a media solution so openness is always has always been the first one in a relationship through the partnership and through the business the other one's trust mm. yeah. if you've got deeply f- and firmly rooted trust with your client it changes the relationship yeah and they're the two things that i've always kind of held dear to them to, to what we do here at Zenith we, we think about our you know, we've got lots of long-standing client yeah. relationships and there's a reason for that you know when you've got openness trust that you celebrate the good times but you're in the trenches in the, the mm. more difficult times together is that how you build that trust you know you're oh. there
0: in those difficult times and you're
1: yeah absolutely I mean for us you and it's ebbs and flows. some clients mm. are up while others are down and mm. for us it's when you really lean in. The other thing we've done, and it was a new thing this year, was we've brought our clients together Hmm. to be open and trustworthy with each other. So we have these, uh, what we call our CMO Roundtable Series. Oh, yeah. Um, We don't bring any partners along in terms of media or anything like that. Um, This is something that is really important to Zenith and our fabric. And we bring our top um, clients along to a dinner. We we'll only do two or three we do we've done two this year um, and we'll do three next year. we bring them together to talk about what we believe are the really interesting topics of the time um, and what I've found out of those things is that they start to share some of their opportunities of growth or some of the challenges they're having and it's that wonderful moment, CMO to CMO because it's kind of lonely yeah but there's yeah, no like, yeah. Yeah. Unless you're talking to another CMO, like you're the one. Yeah. You're the one that's holding all of marketing together. Yeah. The, the, I distinctly remember sitting at the dinner up here in Sydney and um, two of our client, one of our clients turned to the other one and said, we've got the same issue. <laughs> and bang, they started to connect that's fantastic. on that. And for yeah. us, that was the, um, a wonderful moment. That isn't anything yeah. Zenith um, will do to solve that. But they can now connect on that and they have and they're running with it, which is great. But bringing clients together is really important to us.
0: Did you notice any or have you noticed any common themes? It's almost like the barbecue conversation. If I was to put five agency CEOs or or client-side CMOs together, what are some of those sort of themes that keep coming up?
1: Yeah, we've had a couple of these. So one one that's come up um, is managing sales, sales volume, yeah. Sales targets at a good margin. Yeah. <laughs> and it's been quite interesting that we've been able to feed in data from the Imagine panel. So um, you know, I talked about insights before and I talked about and I've spoken about before. And we've built our own bespoke solution around understanding Aussies really well. But we've been able to help our clients understand the role of loyalty programs. Sure. On average, Australians have 11.
0: Eleven loyalty yeah. programmes. Well.
1: Yeah. And therefore you probably think Just well, doing some math in my head
0: thinking I probably have about eleven
1: myself. Yeah. Yeah. And how loyal are you to those brands? There's hmm. probably a couple of nuance in there, so you're probably loyal to your airline. Yeah. Maybe hotel. That's about it. Yeah. The rest of the nine that you've got, yeah. you're like, yeah, I'll shop it. And even probably in travel, you're going to switch based on price and what you're traveling for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So on average, 11, and we're finding that people aren't loyal to that because of cost of living pressures. So back to that margin question that our um, clients are having, we know that 68% of Aussies will only shop product on sale and will switch product for like for like. Hmm if it's on sale versus what their normal brand is. Yeah. So I spoke about distinctive assets before, really important. Yeah. But this whole thing on, yes, I have a distinctive asset, but I can only sell it on sale, um, is a key thing that we're seeing in the market at the moment that we're helping clients with.
0: We did touch on the topic of creativity and its importance um, at Zenith Media. What are some of the things you're watching or how do you reading, listening to, and, and where do you go to get your personal and professional inspiration?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I'm an audio book person, so I listen a lot um, and podcasts. Um, Reading-wise, there's been a lot around that kind of leadership space, so um, Brene Brown... Is a big one, Dare to Lead, Alice of the Heart. Um, there's a couple of others that I've got too. So there's a book um, by Abby Wombach called Wolfpack. She used to be one of the USA, Team USA soccer players or football players. Um, really great listen. She she reads that book. Oh, um, she actually narrates it actually, as well. She narrates it and it's awesome. That's fantastic. Um, I love when the authors yeah, they authors do that. You author, catch the nuance and That's yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so, and that's a really short but hmm. Good read around some yeah. principles of what was that called again? Wolfpack. Wolfpack. Yeah. Um, I love Ashbardi's book. I thought, um, oh, I've heard a lot about that. People oh, it's a ph- phenomenal read when you look at how, um, her career ebbed and flowed, and the team that she brought her around her, um, to help her through um, her entire career, how her mindset shifted. And if you just think about Ash two or three years before she retired, it almost felt like it came across as there was no pressure, and that was because she was really focused on managing herself rather than what was out of her control, and that was a lot of work that um, she, she kind of credits Ben Crow, and you've seen Ben Crow do a lot of that work before, Um, other things i read michelle obama's becoming that's a really good one a lot of simon cynic and there's a really interesting book around um, by a gentleman called james kerr he was the um, all blacks coach many years ago and the book's called legacy and that was a great read um, on how he built rebuilt the all blacks culture oh wow yeah Um, and it was just phenomenal and if you saw what happened in the rugby world cup most recently, though they didn't win, how that culture was still there. Yeah, you saw yeah. it coming, and the strength come around that. Um, just finish watching the Beckham. Um, I'm, I'm on strong
0: sporting themes yeah. coming through here. Yeah, there's a few bits of sport because there's these parallels in business and sport. Absolutely,
1: yeah. Um, but I feel like sports more humanistic. Yeah. Whenever you read business leadership, there here's the 25 rules, or like. And I don't know if personally; they don't resonate as much no, as no. sport. Feels more human. Yeah, and point. I love
0: that you've positioned yourself and you're, well, You said you didn't have any true um, locked-in principles, but I'm sensing that your principle is to really see yourself as a coach. Yeah, and you did mention that earlier, so it's yeah. not like I'm making this, making this, yeah. putting like words into your very mouth. important. And then the sports you're interested in—sports—I love that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do. You see, I mean, you really do see yourself as a. A coach to a team, and, and would you?
1: Well, look, I use a lot of parallels between sport, and they're not all right. Mm. You know, um, there's a lot of things in, that you see on in sport and on sport that you go, you can't do that on business. It might not even be right on the sporting field. Mm. Yeah, right? sure. Um, but there are some real similarities. The first one is this human trait of just connecting with people to get the best out of them. Yeah. You see great people, great leaders do that really well. The second one that I talk about a lot is this in sport be it individual team sport, there are multiple coaches. Yes. That people have to get the best out of themselves. So if you think about um let's say, a tennis player, right? They'll have a nutritionist, they'll have a physio, they'll have a conditioning coach and strength coach, they'll have um, a mindset coach, they'll then have a tennis coach, i.e. a skills coach. And that's just Mm. five off the top of my head, right? They've probably got six or eight, Mm. right? You know, LeBron James talks about the fact that, you know, he has um, all these coaches around him, he has a, has a chef that cooks his meals. And that's why he's been able to play so long, right? Typically in business, you're lucky if you go to very top leaders and go, how many coaches have you got? And you're lucky if you get one. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a miss in business for that. Mm. I think having multiple... Um, coaches one of the things i'm really big on here at zenith is having people getting coached hopefully i'm one of those yeah. but also getting some external help for our people and then even at a team level having multiple coaches so yeah. i can talk to you about two or three different people we work with um, to have different perspectives but coach on different things and have mm. different specializations to help us as well yeah
0: what's been some of your on the just switching gears back to the big ideas. Uh, yeah. What's been some of your favourite ideas of late? And, bits of work, yeah. Favourite bits I'll of work, whether to, you've done or elsewhere.
1: Yeah, I'll talk to um, I'll talk to three if I can. One will be and two will be. Um, I wish I worked on them, and one will be one that we did work on. Um, so two that I um, didn't work on. One was this bit of writing um, that was done by Nike on when Maria Sharapova came back talking about her strength and her dedication to the sport. And I thought it was just a brilliant piece of copywriting and so emotional. And I still have that piece. I just think it's so wonderfully put together. And it was through the entire time where, you know, they obviously went through the Colin Kaepernick thing. And then just to celebrate their athletes in different ways, not just around winning. Yeah, yeah was so important, and I thought that was just, for me, that was a standout campaign. It
0: speaks to just do it, but in a different way, doesn't it? It's all about that personal resilience and
1: overcoming obstacles
0: that aren't sport, necessarily sport related, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I think a bit of work that was really recent that Leo's did, Leo Burnett's did, your old stomping ground (laughs) was the Bundy Mixer work. I thought that was fantastic on cross gender um, fantasy league work. I thought it was brilliant, Mm. brilliant insight um and great work from the team you should check that out yeah
0: I'll put some show notes I'd like to put some links to those books you yeah. mentioned as well and yeah please do some of this work
1: yeah and and that that work's been really well awarded I think and I think the work that um that we did and we've done some great work, but it was actually my last role when I ran um, Razorfish, was the any um any fitness work anybody any time um, to really I've
0: seen that I thought that was really good as well it yeah, was really good yeah
1: you know I was really proud of the work that the team did on that because yeah you, you know when you see great work and you your gut it almost becomes like I have to get this over the line because yeah. it's like it, it, it's so emotive and it was that work it brought purpose into gyms which yeah you know has been missing it brought this really lovely sense of diversity and inclusion in a place that can be a little bit like not inclusive. Yeah, Um. Yeah. And I, I was really proud of that work, having you know, even shooting parts of that not in a gym. Like yeah, yeah. really changing the way that that industry goes to market, but I thought really carved out something really special for um, the team there.
0: Do you have any side hustles that you're involved in at all? Or are there any things that keep you busy outside of? I mean, you're busy enough as it is. By the sounds of it, you've with your young children and your 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 role as a CEO.
1: Well, I do have to give a lot of credit to Diana, my wife, on allowing me to do as much as I do. But when I think about, um, I I can't remember where this came from. This was about six seven years ago, and I cannot. I wish I could remember who told me this or where I read it, and I would credit it all the time. But they said you've got to have your main hustle, yeah, your side hustle, and your soul hustle. Your soul is that as in soul as soul, in soul? in terms of you're, you're just, yeah, yeah, yourself. And so I do have. I obviously run Zenith, and it's a lot of fun. And I kind of that's kind of all three for me. But um, I do have a side hustle. Um, so I am um, a director of a business called Madebox. Made box. Made box. Yep. Um, everyone listening, check it out. Madebox.co. Um, but um, is a wonderful business born out of the pandemic, where people st- couldn't travel sure. into regional Australia. You had all these artisan regional producers, um, which couldn't sell any stock, and so we t- created a um, corporate gift boxing company. Awesome. Right. Yeah, yeah. Where. You learn about the makers, their stories, and where they come from as you're enjoying the product. That's amazing, what a great idea. um, Really great um, business. Um, And then I have two soul hustles, funnily enough. I try and give back to the industry as much as I can. Um, But one of those things, I chair the AMAA and AIMCO, which is an industry body, it's been around for 90 years. Um, And we audited print back in the 1930s, wow. um, which is incredible just to think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and now really that business is m- mostly around helping creators understand what their not only legal rights are, but how they create good campaigns and how to get into agencies, teaching ad agencies what it's like. We've got a great accreditation program now, fantastic membership program, and we've got the Aim Query Awards coming up in February. Oh, so that's really fun. Yeah. And then my last one, is I'm um, also the president of our local... going So I've got to get this right across the state. Our local kindergarten, that's what they call it in Victoria <laughs> and Queensland. Thank but you. But preschool in New South Wales. Yes. So it's a, it's a community-run um, business. So yeah. eight, eight teachers That's fantastic. Um, and co-educators. So it's a community-run preschool. Yeah, 60, yeah. 60 um, 62 students. Uh, but for me, it was about how do you give back to community? Mm. How do you inject back into a place that where you live, and that's been really refreshing. We've got our mm. AGM on Monday night coming up, and it is a lot of work, but mm. I, it's enjoyable work.
0: Yeah, why? Why is that important for you? Do you think giving something back? That sounds like a very philosophical question. No, it's. You
1: know? I think it's important for everyone to yeah. do something that You know, I'm passionate about what I do. Like yeah. I, I say this a lot. I was speaking to another agency CEO. Um, the other day, um, she gave me a really nice compliment. She said, I'm looking really good. I said, thank you. And she's like, it's the stress of the job. And I actually turned around and said, um, it, no, I'm not stressed in this job mm. at all. Yeah, I said, I'm just having fun. Yeah, and I'm, yeah, I get yeah. the smile every day. I've got great people, fantastic clients. Um, I love Zenith and what we're doing here, and I'm really blessed. But when it comes to the soul hustle, giving back to community, seeing... The impact these little decisions or big decisions you make has on somebody's future, for me, is really special, right? Maybe it ties into that coaching thing, right? Yeah, I don't, I'm yeah. not in the classroom. I've got yeah, phenomenal yeah. educators that do that. But just to be part of that yeah. is something that I get a, a bit of a kick out of.
0: Well, that leads really well into my some of my last questions. Um, well, it will be my last question. How would you distill all of that? Into a bite of wisdom because it feels like there's a lot, lot in there that could play itself beautifully into a bite of wisdom.
1: Oh, I don't know.
0: It could be a sentence. It could be a motivating locker room speech. It could be.
1: I think. I think it comes back to something I said at the very top of the meeting, which is, I think it's probably the thing that um, I wish I had this advice ten years ago which was the oxygen mask analogy I said earlier at the top of the piece today, which was I wish I did more work on myself to be able to lead people better Uh, earlier. Yeah. Right? And brought people around me. Remember I spoke about Mm. that sporting analogy and coaching analogy. So my word of wisdom is it's never too late, but it's never too early to really go deep on yourself and learn about yourself. So then you can kind of help and learn and teach others as well. So any advice is do some work on yourself. It's, it can be a really tough journey to do, but when you work, learn things like what it means to be in grounded confidence, that's a Brene Brown term, um, and, and to really know your boundaries and set them, I think you become, for me, those things alone have made I'm a better dad, I'm a better husband and hopefully hmm. a better leader in the business too.
0: So you've got to work on yourself first before you can work with others or work on yeah. others. Or yeah, yeah, I love that. And that, that's a beautiful, I, can, I do a lot of the, that's one of my little soul hustles. I like doing the design and the yeah. art direction for my little gifts and so on that I put in social media which support yeah. these Bites of Wisdom. And I can see the... The drop-down mask and that analogy kind of playing in quite well. It's It's,
1: really true, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's really true.
0: Fantastic. Well, Jason, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. I thank you for your time. And. Listeners, please check out some of the links we're going to put up on the uh, show notes. So I think there's a whole bunch of wonderful advice there. Are there any leaving comments you want to give oh, just, the audience?
1: Just massive, thank you. thanks for listening, but thank you for having me. It's always a great pleasure to talk about um Zenith, but also the broader things that I like to do. So thank you. I really appreciate the time.
0: And where can uh, listeners find out more about you and Zenith and, um, uh, uh, and for, what was it the uh,
1: Yes, yeah, so um, To learn more about me you can just jump on linkedin drop me a message i always find time to try and get back to people um but also find time for coffees and chats all the time um in terms of zenith um, zenithmedia.com.au is where we're at and madebox.co for madebox
0: excellent jason thank you that was jason tinelli people thanks a lot thanks see ya If you'd like to find out more about me or the B-Side podcast, please visit jamesbside.com. That's one word, jamesbside.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at b-sidepodcast. If you have any suggestions or feedback on the show, please email me at hello at jamesbside.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. The B-Side with James Barrow is produced by me, and I really hope it's helped unlock your creative potential. Thanks for listening, and until next episode, cheers.